Love those kids, eh? It was, uh, I think this was kind of a, a God moment, uh, the, the song, the prayer, the example that we have had for the children, the children's message, it all went together. And it was, it was such a beautiful thing. I think we set more examples for children than we could ever imagine. And I think children pay attention. We might not think that they do, but I believe they do. As I was thinking about just our prayer time and bringing people before the Lord, I, I, I want to ask that if a few people around um, these two here, Ruth and, and, and Daryl and your Gerald, sorry, I always get you guys mixed up. If we could just gather a few people around and pray for them, because they are going through a difficult time at the moment. Lord, we want to pray for Gerald and for Ruth, and Brenda and Brenda and the rest of the family, but these three are here right now. And Lord, there is so much that falls on their shoulders at the moment as they have family here. So they're looking after family as well as mom and as well as dad. And, and this is not an easy time. This is a time that nobody wants to come to. We want our parents to live on. But we know, Lord, that you have a day appointed unto each one of us. But that doesn't lighten the load. And I want to pray right now for... For, for this family and for these folks and what they're going through. May they know that it is by your strength that they are enabled. And so much falls on Ruth. So much responsibility, so much work. Father, I pray that you would give her the energy and the ability and the health to minister to her family in a very powerful way that resembles the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, for those who don't know you, we pray that through Ruth and through Gerald and through Brenda, they would see the Lord Jesus Christ and that this death would be one that is glorifying to your kingdom and brings salvation into their homes. We thank you and praise you for what you are going to do in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you so much. I kind of have a, a strange title for the message this morning, and it's a one-point sermon. It's a one-point sermon. <laughs> where, oh, where has spiritual vitality gone? And, and the sense of, I want it back. Who has reached the very height of their spiritual experience and has it still today. We've all experienced more. Every one of us has experienced something in our lives that was so powerful, we've lost it. We lost it and we want it back. I want to start with a passage in Romans. Romans chapter uh, 12, verses 9 to 13. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along, Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9 to 13. The scripture here says this. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Last week, 
if you can think back, if you were here last week and you can think back to some of the things that we talked about, the, the subject was growing upward and growing to perfection. And what I had you do is I had you visualize this perfect day. And perfection is not about everything going right in our life. Perfection is found in love. And perfection is found in Jesus. So I, 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 I've got a mic here, and I want just some response from last week. And I want to ask you if, if God has moved in your life at all last week. And if he has, what has stood out for you? What has stood out for you last week? Anybody want to share? I was going to say, maybe nothing happened. Something certainly happened last week, and I wasn't here to hear that message because I was at the funeral of a very, very, very close friend. But the Lord allowed me to be there um, with the help of Toyota. They made sure I had good winter tires on so that I could get there. And it was a prayer that I, I needed to be there. And to be in the room with, with my ex-fiance as he passed a couple weeks before that was a blessing. And to be able to be there at his service where it was really shown that he lived his life that way with fervor. Mm. No matter how sick he was, he lived with, lived with fervor. And he, he shared that with so many people. And it was a blessing to so many people. And I just thank God that, that he was with me and my family to be able to, to do that. Because mm -hmm. although it was a sad time, it was a time of joy too. Because knowing he's up in heaven. Amen. And the Lord can listen to him sing. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Anybody recall last week? There's a few people that recalled last week. Sometimes it's hard, you know. I, sometimes somebody says to me, you know what? Um, I'd like to know what, what you talked about. Like, there's something you said, and I want some explanation. I'm going, what did I talk about last <laughs> week? And I've got to think about it and try to understand where it was. But when God touches us in a powerful way, we don't forget. We don't forget. Something moves in our hearts. Eileen? Okay. I think as God talks to us about his love, it's one of the most powerful gifts of God that we can have. That we, even in our weakness, even in our own battles, our own losses, that God puts us in a place to live a life of sacrificial love where your life is to live dedicated to helping others mm -hmm. and to love the ones that you are helping wholeheartedly as if they're your own. Mm -hmm. And that is something that only comes and I've only learned through God. Mm -hmm. Because in what I call the real world, I couldn't do that. Yes, thank and you. And he's even teaching me more. And the experience that I had last night was beautiful. And he showed me that I have such a love in my heart mm -hmm. for what even is God-given and not just you know, human blood, but mm -hmm. God's blood. Mm -hmm. And I think that through the blood of the Lamb that we are more family. Yes, thank joined you. Joined together in a stronger, stronger core than the life and the family that we're born into. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I really believe. And I know that God has showed me this past week, through all the trials and the struggles, that through the love of God, we are overcoming. That's right, we are. Through the love of God, we are overcomers. Anyone else that has something to share? One thing I remember, Jim, I 
He does. That's right. God loves us to perfection, to absolute perfection. This whole idea of being perfect, can anyone be perfect? No. Not at all. And yet, the scriptures from last week said, God, Jesus said, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. And, and I think we gleaned out of last week the very fact that perfect really means love. To be perfect in love. To have perfection in Christ Jesus. It's the only way we can be perfect. I think of myself standing in front of the throne of God. I got nothing that I can offer God. Absolutely nothing. The only thing I have is to say, Jesus. And he has to speak for me. Because there's no merit of mine that can answer to God. But Jesus does ask us to do a few things. He asks us to be one. One in him. One with one another. To be united as his body. Last week I, I shared a declaration. And... I believe the declaration is true for every believer. I included this declaration, declaration uh, in a sermon probably anywhere from three to five years ago. I don't remember. But I remember sharing this, this uh, declaration. And we shared it last week. I can't claim that it is mine. I know I got it from somewhere. And I don't know if I used it as it is but I think that I altered it to fit the sermon. And I shared it with you last week. And I think it's insightful, and I think it's a motto that we can stand by. And so I want to ask us this morning uh, to say this motto together again. If I can get it up here. Oh, there it is. Uh, I am, say it with me. I am what God says I am. I will be what God says I will be. I can do what God says I can do. Wow. We can. We can do it. As we think of this model and the things that Jesus has asked us to do, I want to share this morning, but... As I share this morning, I want to give you some forewarning. I, I want to share some things this morning that could be offensive to you. Uh, I mean that in a personal way. It may affect you personally, and it may be offensive to you. You may get a little bit angry, but... My hope is that it is not my words that conjure up this anger or create this conflict. My hope is that it is God. That God is the one who's doing it. And that you not resist him, but that you allow him to speak to you and receive it with a humble spirit. About 15 to 20 years ago, unknown to me in our church, I shared a message, and this woman named Jill took an offense to what I preached. In her mind, she took offense against me. But I believe it was what God was doing in her heart. She went home from the service furious. The next day when her husband came home from work, she told her husband, she said, I spent the whole day arguing with Pastor Carl. He said, you what? You spent the whole day arguing with him? He was here? 
she said, I argued and I argued and I argued with him all day. And, and you know what? I think we're okay now. He says, well, where did you meet? She says, well, I, I came home right after the argument to make supper. Well, where were you? Were you in town? Well, she said, no, I was on the tractor. I was in the cab. I was on the field all day. And I was there arguing with Pastor Carl all day. But she says, it's okay now. Well, I'm glad I wasn't actually in the cab with her. <laughs> she worked out her arguments with me in the cab of that tractor. But what she was actually doing was talking to God. And I may share some things that have a similar vein. When you've worked it out with God, and if you're still struggling, I'd love to talk to you. I'd like to have a conversation with you. So I want to begin here with this. In the scriptures, in, in the Bible, in no uncertain terms, scripture says this. It says, honor one another. Be devoted to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Teach one another. Accept one another. Respect one another. Pray for one another. Agree with one another. Serve one another. Bear with each other, one another. Speak to one another. Submit to one another. Confess your sins to one another. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Offer hospitality to one another. Fellowship with one another. Love one another. Love one another. Love, love, love one another. Be perfect in Christ. There's over 50 verses in the New Testament that have one another in it. There's one that I didn't mention because it's one that we don't seem to do in North America. But I got surprised this morning because someone actually did it. The scripture says, greet one another with a holy kiss. It happened to me this morning. <laughs> it was wonderful. I understand our culture, and I understand why we don't. And I also understand in many other cultures, that's a normal thing. But it was wonderful to experience. We do these things that I've mentioned, and Scripture mentions... Because our focal point is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our focal point. He is the center of all of our one another's. He's the very center of all of our one another's. This morning when we came, we took communion. And no doubt communion is this special time that we celebrate. And the focal point of communion is indeed the Lord Jesus Christ. But I wonder, when Jesus had communion with his disciples, if they did communion like we did it this morning. I wonder when Jesus said, here is the bread and here is the cup whether their eyes were only on Jesus or whether they looked at each other to see where others are at. I wonder if they looked at each other to think, what's going on? Am I right with that person? a lot of questions I think that the disciples might have had. But what happens in our day to day when we take communion we do take it together. It's a moment when 
Maybe we're bowing, and we do it out of reverence. But one of the things is we do is we shut one another out. And then we simply reach our hand out to take the bread and to take the cup. And when the right time comes, we take communion together in unison. And we move on from there. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I've thought about it. Because it says communion. And I think our mind always says, my communion is with the Lord. But Jesus says, no, no. He says, your relationship is with me and with one another. One with Christ and one with one another. So when we come to share communion together, it's not just about one thing. It's about the whole. And I think that's why Jesus says, whenever you come together, together, have koinonia, have communion, have this relationship of connecting and communicating and interacting and distributing and, and have this relationship not just with me but with one another. And we do it with one another. That's what we're supposed to do. But I think it needs to go deeper. And I think when we do go deeper, it becomes more heart-wrenching. And it brings us not only closer to the Lord Jesus, it brings us closer to one another. You see, we have something today that has been repeated in history. And those are traditions. And they have brought us into the place where we are today. The pew can be a very lonely place. It can be a very lonely place. We can very easily come into the church and slip into that particular spot that we call our own. And when the service is over, we kind of slip out of that spot and back into our world. We do that very easily. And we say, well, wait a minute, I don't just slip in and slip out. No, that's true. You probably do come in and you probably do nod to a few people, shake a few people's hands, have this conversation that isn't personal with somebody else, it might be weather or something else, it's just a few kind words, and then you're into the service, and after the service, a few kind words, and we slip out of the service. Let me also add to this that in the future, in the past, you've had a, a long-term pastor. In the future, you're going to have a long-term pastor. But the pulpit can even be a lonelier place than in the pew. It can be a lonelier place. Because you see, a pastor comes with a heart to minister. And he has this desire. And so he spends, he locks himself up. I shouldn't say locks. He closes himself up in his office. <laughs> He's not trying to keep people out. He closes himself up in his office and he spends the week trying to figure out how, can he, how he can inspire his congregation, how he can take these fluttering flames, these, these fluttering pilot lights, and how he can turn them into these blazing torches. That's his desire. As a pastor, that's my desire. I don't know of a pastor who doesn't want to see his church on fire. He wants to see that, that flame turn into a torch. Author James Rutz makes this comment in one of his books. He says, the pastor feels like he has been condemned to a lifetime of futility. 
trying in vain to motivate, motivate a sullen pack of foot-dragging spiritual adolescents who never quite seemed to keep quite seem to see the big picture, never get excited enough to shoulder responsibility, and never get close to giving their tithe. He's not talking about money. He's not talking about money. He's talking about giving their tithe of themselves to the Lord. I've sat in the pew. I know what it's like to sit in the pew. I've been in the pulpit, and I know what it's like to be in the pulpit. And there's a lot of things that need correction. But I also want to say this, this is not your fault. Where you are at today, in the pew, is not your fault. For centuries, our traditions have bound us up. They have dictated the very thing that you do every week. And tradition has carved the person in the pulpit. It's like they have taken a piece of stone and chiseled out all the pieces until they have an idol that will fill the pulpit. Somebody who will stand here and do everything you want them to do. Tradition moves us in that direction. I see it as history repeating itself. This tradition has spiraled actually the New Testament church into the dark ages. If we will remember back in history, after Constantine, the church was so steeped in its traditions, it lost the Lord Jesus Christ. And it wasn't until there were radicals who broke out and began to change things. John Knox, Wycliffe, Tyndale, Calvin, Luther, many others, until those people stood up and said, we had enough of tradition. It's back to the Bible. Let's get back to the basics. Let's get back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's focus upon him. Let's stop focusing on all of these traditional things that we have installed in our churches and the things that we have taught. It's enough. And what did we see from the Reformation as we see, saw a resurgence of the church? Jesus, yes, amen. Amen, that's right. Uh, Israel was also steeped in their religious plight. We all read the Bible. If you go back, we find that it was very much steeped in this religion until Jesus came on the scene. Jesus was the radical. He began to change everything. It was Jesus who came into the temple to clear it out of all of its traditions. It was Jesus who stood up and he pronounced to the religious uh, traditionalists, he said, you have said, and you have said, and you have said, and he stops and he says, but I tell you, but I tell you. He said it with authority because he had that authority. I tell you what God wants. I will interpret the truth for you. It was really an outrage. How could traditions from all those years be broken? How can we move away from, from what we have known for so long, all of our lives? But oh, how beautiful the ruin of tradition and the restored relationship with Jesus. How beautiful. Back to what the focus was. Jesus. Freedom to worship. 
Freedom to love. Freedom to express. Has anybody watched the, the movie Fiddler on the Roof? I'm sure many of you have watched that. <laughs> Long time ago. Well, it's just about time to watch it again. Be because here we have Tevya, who really was stuck in this place. And there were time and time again when he had to rethink his traditions in the world in which he lived. And at one point near the end of the film, he comes to a place and he says, No, no, I cannot, I will not, I will not give in. Tradition, tradition. That was his, his place. And he rejected his own daughter over the tradition he could not leave. When traditions supersede, the traditions of man supersede God's desire, we're in the wrong place. But when tradition is set aside and abandoned for relationship, the Holy Spirit is released in a very powerful way. And we see that in the New Testament when the Holy Spirit was released the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit became prevalent and people's hearts and lives were changed. Society changed. People exchanged tradition for this, this passionate faith in this Lord and Savior that they knew. They devoted themselves to the gospel teachings and they devoted themselves to fellowshipping with one another. If you have your Bible and you want to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 44. It's a wonderful passage. Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 44. And it says here, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then it says, everyone was filled with awe because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit was amongst them in their fellowship. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And then if we slip down a couple of verses to verses 46 and 47, it says this. It says, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They did it with one another. One another. They didn't do it alone. They didn't lock themselves up or just come to a service on a Sunday morning, go home to their home and get all excited. It happened when they were with one another. Believers engaged with one another. They, they shared meals together. They shared homes together. They built these, these beautiful friendships and relationships with one another. They got to know one another very intimately. They knew the heartbeat of each person. And I'm not saying that you're going to know the heartbeat of everybody in your congregation. But if you know ten people in your congregation, out of those ten people, they know other ten people. And those ten people know other ten people. Very close relationships. And when something happens within the congregation, it doesn't take long before everybody can step in to help, to encourage, to lift up. Their weekly gatherings were times of worship, of celebration, of giving, of sharing, of intercession, teaching, encouragement. And the one thing that we find is that the congregation, nobody in the congregation was a spectator. The spectators were there were just to find out what was happening. 
and they caught, got caught up in the movement. I don't think that a spectator lasted long in the New Testament church sitting in their pew. They become part of the congregation, the active part of the congregation. They participated. They were participants, not spectators. If we could imagine a little bit having a congregation, having a fellowship in a church like this, where we begin to share our burdens, having our church members come around us to pray for our needs, having uh, physical needs, emotional needs, uh, spiritual needs tended to, supporting one another in these things, then having the Holy Spirit move in a powerful way to help answer these questions or answer these situations. And then those folks coming back maybe a week or two later sharing what God has done in their lives. Maybe somebody has gone from being an unbeliever to a believer that they could stand up and share. You know what happened in a men's renewal once? This was a men's renewal where we had about 120 guys who were supposed to be Christians. But one person brought two unbelievers with him. And all we were doing was sharing the testimony of what God has been doing in our lives on a Saturday evening. And in the middle of these testimonies, this man got up and he says, I want to be a Christian. Nobody told him about it. Nobody asked him. Nobody shared a special message. He heard it from the Holy Spirit. And the people who brought this man took him aside and led him into the kingdom. And when they came back, we celebrated. But it doesn't just happen with the renewal or, or rebirth of our soul. It happens. I, I'm going to go on a, on a little story here. I, I hope you don't mind. I know it's a little bit late. But I was at a full gospel businessman's banquet. And along came, I was with a friend of mine who had just committed his life to the Lord the month earlier. And along came this woman. She was probably in her 60s, maybe early 70s, and her daughter. And they said, could we sit down at your table with you? I said, certainly. So they sat down. And as we were sitting and talking, the daughter began to share. We were here the month before. It was one month that I missed we were here the month before. At the end of the service, it was asked that those who bring want to have prayer to come to the front. And somebody would pray. One of the fellows, one of the leaders of the group would pray for them. Well, this young woman grabbed her mother's wheelchair and wheeled her down to the front. And she says, no, no, I'm okay. Don't worry about me. I'm okay. I don't need this prayer. The, she was wheeled to the front, and her daughter said, I want you to pray for my mother. And so a fellow that I know laid his hands on her, and he began to pray. And he stopped, and he said, you have sin in your life that God wants you to repent of. And she told me herself, she said, I'm in a wheelchair. I believe in God. How in the world am I sinful? I'm not sinful. He began to pray again. and He stopped and, and again it was, I'm in a wheelchair. And then all of a sudden she came to this realization that she was utterly sinful. Is her heart attitude. And she pleaded in repentance. 
And this man with his hand upon her said, in the name of Jesus, get up out of this wheelchair. And she got up out of that wheelchair and she began to run around the room dancing and singing because of what the Lord has done. And everybody in that room knew that God had healed this woman. But there's more. Of course, she didn't drive. She was in this wheelchair. So she began to use the bus. And every time she got on the bus, she began to share her story. I've compressed it. But she began to share her story. And people in the bus would end up crowding around her. And they would miss their bus stops because they wanted to hear the story. And she was able to share and witness and testify to what God has done. Wouldn't that be beautiful if it happened among us? I'm not saying that we need to see a cripple become healed. There's a lot of things that God wants to heal us from. A lot of things that we can share and that God can change in our lives. I want us to take a moment and just look around the room. Just look around the room. And I want you to answer just to yourself these questions. Where are our teenagers? Where are our young people? Just ask ourselves those questions. Where are they? Do we have the answer? Maybe it's because few have taken children seriously. Many of these children have grown up. They're too old for Sunday school. They're really too old for Sunday school. But they're too young to be integrated in our congregation. Too young to be taken seriously or heard. It's sort of like, what do you know? You're just a young kid coming out of Sunday school. And so what we end up, and it's not just in this church. I'm talking an umbrella of our churches. You know what we do? When they come out of Sunday school, we restrain them. We restrain them. We set them aside because... We refuse to care about their needs. We refuse to care about their needs. Relationally, spiritually, emotionally. You know what happens is they drift off. They go here or they go there. And maybe, just maybe, you were glad because you didn't like the way they dressed anyway. I mean, these young folks, the way they dress, it's outrageous. They're no longer here. Thank the Lord. Maybe they had behavior that didn't suit you. They run around. They make a lot of noise. They do a lot of things that you don't like. Well, I'm glad they're not here anymore. The music that speaks to them doesn't speak to you at all. And, of course, you didn't like that either. So it's a good thing they're gone. You wanted it done your way. Where have all the children gone? Where's our youth gone? But if we had shown interest in our teenagers and young people, if we had gone out of our way to build relationships with them. If we have gone to the extent of, of setting up sh workshops for them, of giving them the opportunity to develop and to participate and to take responsibility and ownership in the church, if we had allowed them to lead worship, to share and to teach, 
you know what? They're going to make mistakes. They're going to be unruly. They're in a learning process. None of us were perfect. All of us struggled through life. But let's not put them down. Let's not criticize them. Let's come alongside of them and mentor them with tact and wisdom. That's the important thing. When I was in Bible college, I came to college as a mature student in around 40 years of age. I don't know how many classes I attended where the kids were barely 18 years old. But when they spoke up, my jaw dropped at the wisdom and understanding these young kids had. Wow, just amazed me. It just amazed me. What I'm saying is that once you've loved and cared and nurtured and interacted and built relationship with these kids, chances are that they will never drop out. They will be here. They won't drop out. In fact, some of the ones, as they grow up and get a little older, they will slip into adult and leadership roles. They are the people of the future. Spiritual life, passion, vitality are not found in traditional methods. They're not found in traditional methods or customs or preferences. Spiritual life, passion, and vigor is found in the family. It's found in the family. It's found in doing things together. I spent one hour with Harley, Dave and Bessie's daughter. One hour. We did about a four-minute skit together. And you know what happened? After that, she gave me a gift. What she had, it wasn't much, but whatever she had in her pocket, she gave it to me. And you know what she said to me? She said, you're the best pastor ever. (laughs) All I did was spend an hour with her. And you know what happened after that? When I see her come or she sees me come into this church, she gives me a hug. You know what else has happened? Her sister started doing that as well. And today the youngest one did it as well. Do you get what I'm saying? The future of the kingdom of God is not in warming pews. It's just not there. The future of the kingdom of God is not holding on to our traditions and our preferences. The future of the kingdom of God is in the relationships we build. That's the future. It's in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that being, are being transferred by our love for these kids, for people. For people. It's that being transferred, transported into their hearts from us. Nothing will revitalize our passion of God more than giving joy and enthusiasm and faith to another generation. So I want to challenge you today. And the challenge is this. Do you want to die in your pew? Do you want to die in your pew or do you want to pass life on to another generation? That's the real question. 
There's another option. Do you want to contribute to the spiritual death of the next generation? Jesus had a very profound word about leading children astray. I can guarantee you that some of us may not be here long and the time is short. You can die stubborn, disappointed, and unfulfilled. Or you can die kicking and screaming to help shape the future generation. The choice is really yours. It really is. God's not forcing you. The choice is yours. And so I want to end this message with something that we shared last week from Bob Goth. I don't know if any of you have put it on your mirror in your bathroom, but let's put it on our minds. Let's say it together. Love God, love people, and do something. Amen. Father, we, we praise you and we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the opportunities that you lay before us. That today has been a real challenge. But God, I pray that you speak into our hearts. That you change and you mold and you make us. Because today isn't about me. Today is about you and about your kingdom and about a future of your church. God, I want to be part of that future. I want to see a generation regenerized, revitalized, on fire, enthusiastic for you. I want to see Acts chapter 2. Thank you, Father. We praise you. And we look forward to what you are going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.